0: Kind of feels like we just go home now, doesn't it? Isn't that good? Of course, that's a question for us, isn't it? I I, I can't think of a more significant question and then the answer to that, is he alive? Is he alive? Not was he a great teacher, did he have a profound impact on our ethos that we live into, you know, kind of the great American experiment in some way, has Judeo-Christian ethic, all that. All that, okay, good and fine, a culture arises, a culture evaporates before our very eyes, and and maybe maybe we have a little better go of it because he taught, you know, love and peace and joy and all that, and all that, that's good, that's good, but the question is deeper than that. If he was raised from the dead, this is a life-changing experience for us. So I I don't know if you own that this morning. That's my question to you, each individually. Do you own that truth? Are you exploring that truth? One thing I can assure you of, irrespective of all the opinions and thoughts that you may have about this whole thing, is you want this to be true. You need this to be true. In many ways, our windows on this life are closing. For some... Maybe this next year, I'm not a prophet here, but we don't know. We've already lost how many people just since we, just three, two, three short years of Church at the Red Door, how many people that are not here that were with us when we launched? Windows close. You know, this last weekend, something pretty profound happened, and all of you may not be personal fans of his, and I know that you're not, but I will tell you this, uh, a resurrection story or at least uh, a type of resurrection narrative kind of emerged. In fact, I was looking after Tiger Woods won the Masters, I was looking, I just typed in Tiger Woods resurrection and article after article after article came up. And what fascinated me was that was fascinating. I mean, any kind of comeback narrative didn't have necessarily a spiritual dimension to it, but it gives us a template for how we should understand our lives or at least what is possible for our lives, what really grabbed me was an interview that was done with Nota Begay, one of his Stanford teammates who now does some golf analytics for uh, the Golf Channel, and he said simply this: He said Tiger didn't want to talk about the end. He felt that his window was closing, and when I was listening to that, I think it was Monday, Tuesday, something like that. I said, "Now I have my now I have my message for Sunday, for our family at church at the Red Door." I didn't, he, didn't want his, he didn't want this thing to end, and he felt like his window was closing. I'm going to ask you this morning, what windows are closing for you even now, and what windows will close for you even over the next two or three years? Some of you I know in here, and I love you, and we're praying for you, but some of you are battling cancer. Some of you are battling some real heartache. Some of you are battling some family uh, alienation. Some of you are battling some real challenges this morning. Uh, your window is closing. Maybe your window's closed in your business life. Maybe it's closed in in your family life of sorts. Uh, maybe your healthy window life is coming to a close. Sometimes as a function of disease, and sometimes just age. Aches and creaks and pains, and just just the way it is. We don't want it to be. Maybe some of you came out here because you said, no, I'm going to retire and I'm going to play golf every day. And you you tried that and then your body said, I'm not playing golf every day. I don't know what you're going to do, but my body, I, me, the body's staying here. You can go out there all you want, but my body's staying here. So maybe you're hiking, you're traveling, you're, you know, your retired lifestyle window. Well, if it's not coming to a close, I can assure you of this, It will. It will. So here's my question to you this morning. Do you have a sustainable hope? Is there something that transcends this life and moves on into the next? Or are you just, well, are we just left dealing with, you know, we'll do the best we can? Well, Jesus offers us this kind of hope, and I want to talk to you about that this morning. Uh, I'm going to talk to you about these things. I want to talk to you about, number one, obviously your windows are closing, and can they be reopened? That's a good question. What was, in fact, Jesus' claim Well, then did he have the authority to do this? I mean, who's he? I mean, what kind of authority did he say? that? I mean, why does he get to stand up and say these kind of incredible, crazy, wild, uh, very different kind of claims than any other teacher had made? I mean, all kinds of teachers are pointing to the truth. Jesus didn't do that. Jesus says, I am the truth. Now, that's different. And then I'm going to say, can we get honest about this this morning? I mean, just heart to heart. I want you to feel like this morning that it's you and me having a cup of coffee, and I'm actually have the opportunity to look you right in the eye and ask you, can we get honest about something for a second? Do you fear death? Do you fear death? And then lastly, can there be any clarity about this at all? Or is it just kind of some big, you know, well, is it a big pot of who knows what? And maybe you're spiritual here this morning. Maybe you feel like, well, I am a spirit. I do sense that there's something transcendent. I don't feel like I'm just some bag of chemicals. I don't feel like that, but I, I feel like there's something more. But, I, you know, what clarity can you really get? Well, we're going to talk about the clarity that Jesus gives us. If you have your Bibles, I want you to go to a story. Many of you will be well aware of and many of you have read it maybe many times you know the story of Lazarus we use it's just part of our normal language if somebody comes back and you're you're out and the business is about to go bankrupt and they filed chapter 11 and somehow there's a big turnaround you know it's a Lazarus kind of experience i mean we use that language commonly but let's go back to the actual story and i want to read john chapter 11 and we're going to read through the story And from it, I think we're going to get some amazing truths that are going to truly transcend this life. Well, that was a moment in time. It wasn't about Jesus' actual death, burial, and resurrection, which is why we're here celebrating. But boy, does it give us some insight into what that will really look like. Chapter 11, verse 1. Now, a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany. So, if you know Israel at all, uh, this is just outside of Jerusalem, if you've ever been there. Jerusalem's kind of in the southern part and the, was the tribe of Judea. And here you have this Bethany. So, the Kidron Valley, you've seen the, all the pictures of the Golden Dome, and then you have the Kidron Valley. And then, if you go up that mountain a little bit, and then just across the hill, you have Bethany, where Lazarus lived with his sisters. The vet, actually, Mary and Martha, we, we know them well. It was Mary who was who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. So the sisters went, sent word to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. Now, where was Jesus? Well, Jesus said they had already tried to lay their hands on him, and yet Jesus knew his hour was not yet. We're going to talk about that in a minute and how significant that is for you. Uh, and so what they had done is they had retreated with their disciples, left Jerusalem, Gone down the long, steep ascent. In fact, if you look in your Psalms, you'll see often the Psalms of ascent. They would climb to Jerusalem. If, if you want to know what it's like in Israel, it's kind of like well, we're going to Hemet or Idlewild. That really is what it's like when people go with me to Israel this time of year, uh, or say in December. I say, well, wear exactly what you would wear if we're going to spend a little time here, a little time over here, and then we're going to go up to Idlewild and spend a little time there. Well, what's going to be a little cooler up there? It's almost exactly the same. It looks the same. The topography is the same same and Bethany was just over the hill and that's where they were headed so they descended down went across the Jordan River and were spending time there and Jesus knew exactly what was going on with Lazarus but they felt like Jesus get on the ball here you're healing all these people even unknown people of course Everybody was known to Jesus. But for them, from their perspective, here's one of your close friends. And Lazarus was. He was a dear, trusted friend. And Mary and Martha are part of the, the normal gospel narrative that we hear all the time. Say, well, send word to him. Lord, behold, he, he, you love him. We know you love Lazarus and he's sick. But when Jesus heard this, he said, this sickness is not to end in death but for the glory of God so that the Son of Man may be glorified by it. Now, he's not talking about eternal resurrection now. He's just talking about, I'm going to show them a little something special. He knew exactly what he was going to do. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Would you like a verse like that? I mean, I love John 11, verse 5. Would you like a verse like that in the Bible about you? He just loved, and just put your name in there. They were close friends. They walked intimately. They knew one another. They spent time together. Every morning, they spent a little time together over a cup of coffee. Uh, uh, This person often thought about Jesus and walked with him, and as a result, they just had this love affair. It just was the case. Boy, if that could be written about me. Wow. So when he heard that he was sick, he stayed a couple of days where he was, and after this, he said to the disciples, okay, let's go to Judea again. And the disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you and are you gonna go there again? They're thinking on a very temporal plane, aren't they? And Jesus said this, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he doesn't stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night... He stumbles because the light is not in him. What did Jesus mean by there are 12 hours in the day? Well, there's 24 hours in the day, but he's talking about something different. There's a point at which you have an open window. It's called your life. And then there is an appointed time, the Bible says and you will cease to live on this planet. Do you have an escape plan would be a great question. Or is it just, you just kinda go back into the great cosmic oneness and nothing really changes. It just, life cycle goes on and then you're buried and then your ashes turn into the ground and maybe that's, some of that nutrients is picked up by a plant or something and it either through photosynthesis or works its way back into the food chain. And in some ways you become part of an animal who then eats that plant down the road or or something in that way it's a great life cycle can I just tell you that offers me zero hope none I'm not encouraged by that I can I can have wishful thinking and think well that would be nice to be but now that I really think about it do I really care about being eaten in some ways by my my essence or my something by some animal I don't care It means nothing to me in this life. What does it mean? John 2, verse 4. Listen to what Jesus said. This was at his first wedding miracle, at the wedding at Cana. He said to her, woman, what does that have to do with us? My hour has not yet come. What did Jesus understand? Jesus had a life window. That open window he was going to use to be on mission very specifically. And he knew exactly when it would close. Now, we don't know exactly when our window's going to close, but we should be thinking as if we have a moment. There's only light 12 hours a day. My life is, the light is only going to shine and darkness will soon come. I don't care how young you are or how, how far off that may seem. Let me just tell you, the Bible grabs me. It motivates me. It makes me think. The brevity, oh, the brevity of life, how quickly it dissipates. Isaiah was right, it's like a flower. It's here today and gone tomorrow. If you you live through the life cycles of the Coachella Valley here, you know exactly how true that is. We watch it with our girls every week. We drive right by the tradition club over here and boy, they plant the most glorious flowers out in front and the waterfalls are going and once you people start to flitter away and leave, it all goes to dirt. And sometimes the really high-end clubs, they plant a few more flowers that will make it through the 115 degree summers and they'll be there for a while, then they'll start to die, and they'll, they'll just have to keep planting and planting and planting. And I've been here in the desert now 32 years, and I've watched many of those flowers come and go. And I've also watched the same with human beings, some that I love, some that I've watched from afar, some that realized, never really took it to heart that they had, they had a window, and that window was, it was only going to be light for a little while. John 7, verse 30, listen to Jesus. So they were seeking to seize him, and no man laid his hand on him. Why? Because his hour had not yet come. Jesus knew. John 8, verse 20, these words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, and no one seized him. Why? Because his hour had not yet come. John 9 verse 4, Jesus' words, we must work the works of him who sent me as long as it is today. Night is coming when no man can work. Your lives will come to an end, my friends. And he was telling this to his disciples, understand that you have but a moment. How will you live? Well, it has to be an informed way to live. It has to be. If it's ill-informed, it'll be a life not worth living. I'll tell you that. John verse 12, verse 27, chapter 12, excuse me, now my soul has become troubled, and what shall I say, Father, save me from this hour, as a question, but for this purpose I came to this hour. Jesus knew exactly. Jesus was extremely versatile in his ability to understand constantly, even within strange contexts, things coming at him, accusations. Glorious praise on one hand, the next day crucify him. Worshiping him as king and constantly, constantly being driven by the one singular understanding. I am here with purpose. I am here for an open window moment. One day my window will close. And then finally, John 17 verse 1. Jesus spoke these things and lifting up his eyes to heaven, he said, Father, the hour has finally come glorify your son the son so that the son may glorify you and his time and his window closed that would be an incredible story it would be worthwhile to have that forever chronicled in in the annals of you know shakespeare we could put it right up along some of the i mean it's a great story and even if the story did end it'd be a great story but it would be yet for me, unfulfilling. And I would read it once and I'd put it back on my shelf and say, I read it. But why this celebration? Why this annual coming together? Why the cyclicality of this is because the story didn't end there. John 11, now verse 11, back to our story. This he said and after he said to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go so that I may awaken him out of his sleep. Now, notice the language. Why the language? I'm going to awaken Clearly, they knew, they knew what death was, it had been three days. In fact, why did Jesus wait three days? Because there was a feeling among Jews at that time that if in the first three days that the Spirit clung closely to the body, but after that three days, then the Spirit left the house and was gone. And Jesus wanted to make sure that nobody thought, well, His Spirit was near and He wasn't really dead. Or, so, Jesus waited the full three days. Now, you've got to understand, do you, do you find that surprising? No, he's giving us a foretaste of what's going to happen with him. He's just fallen asleep. I'm going to bring him back to life. Now, Jesus was clearly aware that he had stopped breathing, clearly aware that his bodily functions had stopped, but he was claiming something about himself, and it's a powerful claim. He says, Lazarus is dead, and I am glad for your sakes that I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him therefore thomas who is called didymus said to his fellow disciples let us also go so that we may die with him now notice their temporal plane mentality (laughs) we're going to go they were trying to kill him last time lazarus is already dead why why in the world are we going back to that place at this time well let's all go and die i mean it was a willingness to die because their teacher was going to go back and die they're going to die you can appreciate the, the integrity of his faith can't you So when Jesus came, he found that he had already been in the tomb four days. Now, Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. Now, Martha, therefore, when she heard that Jesus was coming, went to meet him, and Mary stayed at the house. And Martha then said to Jesus, Lord, if you had only been here, my brother would not have died. Stop for a second. Lord, if you had only been here, in other words, Lord, I, I... I know, I've watched you heal all these people. I've, I've seen you done, do some of the most amazing things. And here's one of your close friends. And had you gotten back here in time... We we had the faith that you could have raised him right up out off his sickbed, but now he's dead, and now we know that there's really no, well, you know, okay, people get healed sometimes even, and we think that too today, don't we? I had a secular friend, and he, he didn't believe anything. He's a complete atheist, and, and they said he was going to be pronounced dead, and it was not looking good, and then modern medicine came in and kind of revived him, and they're calling it a miracle, and I'm saying, oh, he, would, he was an atheist. All right, maybe it was a miracle. I don't believe in that. See, she... You may be to the point that you can say, I have faith that someone might be able to be revived from a sickness, but that that was about as far as her faith allowed her to go, at least in terms of what Jesus could do in the here and the now. If you'd only been here. Even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. And Jesus said, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he's going to rise again in the resurrection on the last day. See, she had gone all the way to the future, and she did believe in a resurrection. Now, many of the Pharisees did, and some of the Sadducees did not believe in a resurrection, but she was part of that ilk that says, No, I I believe that somehow, someday, the the bodies are going to be raised again. But then Jesus takes this opportune moment not to say, Well, that's true, and then make a theological statement and, and go down that road, but he makes a very defining moment, and this changes everything. And he simply says, he goes, I am the resurrection. He goes, you don't understand. I am the resurrection, and I am the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies, and if everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. And then he asks the question, Martha, do you believe this? I'm telling you, Jesus is asking that question this morning, today, not tomorrow, not a week from now, not a month from now, not after Coachella, not after, you know, not after somewhere where you posit it way out in the future, let me enjoy my life for a little while. No, today, today he asked this question do you believe this? Do you believe that I am the resurrection? Not that I have the ability to do a miracle, not that, no, no, that I actually am. Now you gotta understand when he says, I am, this is the fifth time in John's gospel that he, of seven, by the way, for Jewish people, seven is the number of completion. This is the fifth time Jesus is making an I am statement. I am. Now you remember this goes all the way back to the burning bush when they ask, Uh, Moses, you know, who should we tell? Pharaoh sent us. And and God simply says, tell them I am sent you. So when Jesus is saying, I am the resurrection and I am the life, he's making a clear claim that I am God. Don't you understand, Martha, do you not understand who is in front of you? Did it really necessitate me being here to revive? Is that the way your, does your theology stop? Does it go this far and then stop somehow? Do you see Jesus this morning as a teacher or an icon or somebody, but it stops here? And this whole resurrection business, I'm not so sure about that. Let me just tell you, Martha, I am. I am. Do you not understand who's in front of you? Do you know who's asking you that question? Jesus, the ancient dead teacher that we haven't seen in our whole lifetime? Maybe that's your perspective this morning. Or is it Jesus ever present at the right hand of the Father where all dominion and power and glory will be handed to him one day? Who do we think we're dealing with here? He said, look, resurrection's impossible without me. Life is impossible without me. I spoke it into existence. I was there with the Father. We spoke it into existence. When she said this, she went away and called Mary, her sister, and secretly, and the teacher is here. He's calling you. See, she still wasn't there. Not God is here. The teacher is here. And he's calling for you. And when she heard it, well, she... Now, she's dealing with her sister now, right? She's dealing with Mary. She got up quickly. Now, Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha met him. And the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, when they saw that Mary got up quickly and went out, well, they followed her, supposing that she was going to go to the tomb to weep there. And therefore, when Mary came to Jesus, she saw him. And what did she do? She fell at his feet. Now, that's a good posture my experience in life for 55 years has been the most beautiful and safe place to be is at his feet it's true the most dangerous place to be is to be out running especially away from him it feels good for a while there's always that moment there's that place that feels liberating really intoxicating But I'm telling you, that window will close. When Mary came where Jesus was, she saw him, fell at his feet, and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and was troubled and said, where have you laid him? Never imagine that Jesus does not have the ability to care about your personal suffering I know sometimes it feels theological and God's way out and this is all best this is you know all things work together for the glory of God all things work it's just good it's going to be great and just just trust well it doesn't always feel that way and the fact that Jesus weeps that that helps me does that not help you I mean it's the shortest verse in the bible it just it helps me Where have you laid him? And come and see. And then then that verse, that shortest verse in all the Bible, Jesus just wept. He just felt all our pain. And he knew what he was about to do. Yeah, but just a minute. You're going to be fine. Sometimes I think, well, you're fine down there. You're fine down there. Say, someday you're going to be raised from the dead. Everything's going to be made right. Don't worry about it. Everything's going to be made right. Just suffer through it. No, Jesus weeps. When you weep, he weeps. That helps me. That helps me in my relationship with Jesus, that he's that close and that personal. He knows the outcome, just like he did with Lazarus, but he still weeps. So, the Jews were saying, see how he loved him, but some of them said, could, this, could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind have kept this man from dying again? They only see it temporarily, don't they? That was an impenetrable barrier for them, this life and death thing okay if they're still breathing we still got a chance perform a miracle but once they die it's done that was their place maybe that's where you are this morning as well so jesus again being deeply moved within came to the tomb now it was a cave and the stone was lying against and jesus said remove that stone martha the sister of the deceased said to him lord by this time there will be a smell for he has been dead four days and jesus said to her did I not say to you that if you believe you will see the glory of God? So they removed the stone and Jesus raised his eyes, said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I I knew that you always hear me, and but because of this people standing around, I said it, that they may believe that you, well, one, that you sent, uh, excuse me, that you sent come forth. And so the man died and the man who had died came forth, bound hand and foot, with wrappings, and his face was wrapped around a cloth, and Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Now, I find that amazing that it just does it that quickly, just in a couple of verses. That, I mean, it, should, it needs more drama, and they came back. It needs two or three paragraphs at least, right? The, so the, the stone is rolled. Lazarus, come and, you know, play it out. Come on, draw it out. But you know what? Jesus does that in your life today, just that simply got to be, I got to hear bells and whistles. I've got to have, I need five, six paragraphs written about this. No, Jesus says I can do it right now. Just come forth. Come on, come up, come up out of your tomb. Now you do understand in a, in a physical way, this is a spiritual analog for us. Bible says you are spiritually dead. Well, we need all this drama. It's going to take me years to understand. I, I, how many, I have to go to seminary. I have to go to all these Bible classes. No, it happens this fast. You ready? Happens this fast. Just roll away the tomb. Now come on out. Come on out now unwrap him, take all those, unbind him. And he begins the process of taking off all these grave clothes of which we have gotten good at. We have gotten good at it. But to God, just take them off and we're going we're gonna to reclothe him. Many of the Jews who came to Mary and saw what had been done, they believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them the things which Jesus had done. You know, there's always that. There's some of them aren't just gonna believe. I don't care how powerful it is. The spirit could fall here this morning in the power of his spirit. We could all feel it. We could feel the emotion. He said, ah, it's just emotional, you know, and it's gone. And by the, time you hit that, by the time you hit that parking lot, all the seeds just eaten away out of your life, and it goes, and then you just immediately turn. Okay, now what are we gonna do with Easter? And what are we gonna do? No, this is your moment. Windows will close. So what, G- what does give Jesus this authority? Well, in John chapter 10, simply this, Truly I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep, they don't hear them. I'm the door. If anyone enters through me, he'll be saved. We'll go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal, kill, kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and that they might have it more abundantly. No cosmic killjoy here, folks. You want life? Here it is. This is Jesus' claim. I'm the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays his life down for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, he is not the owner of the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand, is not concerned about the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. And even as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, I laid down my life for the sheep. Now he goes, I have other sheep. Thank goodness it wasn't just the Jewish corral there. I have other sheep, and I believe he was looking towards us, the the non-Jews, around the world, around the entire globe. I have other sheep, which are not of this fold, and I must bring them also, and they will hear. By the way, people say, well, why didn't Jesus just start his kingdom right then? Because of us. Now, many of you are Jewish in here this morning. Many of you following Jesus. Some of you may be Jewish this morning, not following yet Jesus, not recognize him as the Messiah, but I'm just telling you the reason he waited, the reason he's waited is that so all us Gentiles, the Bible's clear about this, so that we could get a sniff of this kind of grace, so we could get a sniff of this kind of gospel culture, so that we could have our lives resurrected too. He he came for the lost sheep of the house of Israel, but his ultimate ministry was going to be to the world. Isaiah had seen this, Isaiah 42 and 49. He's going to be a light to the nations, to the whole world, a global leader, which is an incredible prophecy given that it was a couple 700 years, about 700 years before even the time of Jesus. I have other sheep which are not of this fold. I'm going to bring them also and they will hear my voice and they will become one flock with one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me. Why? Because I lay down my life. If it stopped there, I'd be concerned, so that I may what? Take it again. Who raised Jesus from the dead? Jesus, the power of an indestructible life. There's no way that grave could hold him down. There is no way that grave could hold him down. No one's taking it away from me, but I lay it down on my own initiative. Are you ready? You want to know who has authority? Here's the authority. I have the authority to lay it down, and I have the authority to take it up again. This commandment I received from my Father. You want to know how the resurrection happened? How can we believe in it? You bank on it because Jesus says, I have it all. I've been given this authority, and it's my Father who gave it to me. Now, let me tell you something. If he didn't come out of the grave... We shouldn't spend one more minute thinking about Jesus. He was a false prophet. He was a fool. If Jesus wasn't raised from the dead, said that kind of nonsense, and turned around and went to the grave, and then there's some huge conspiracy theory, somehow, some way. Why? Why would all the disciples believe all of them go, with the exception of John, to their unceremonious death? Some were clubbed to death. Some were crucified upside down. Some were beheaded. I'm telling you, they saw something. So where does your hope come from? Where does your sustainable hope come from? Is it wishful thinking? Please tell me it's not wishful thinking. I, I, saw, I saw last night, that, and I'm sorry, and I'm a fan of her music. I really am. So, you know, Carly Simon. She was on the big interview with Dan Rather. And I just flipped it on last night or the night before, and, and she said, well, I'm not religious, but, you know, I just think, and she just kind of had some ethereal kind of love kind of vibe, you know, thing. And I, I mean, I'm all for love. Jesus, I mean, God is love. So don't, it's not about, I love love. I love it. But how about this verse? I, he asked her, what, what is your favorite song, Carly? And when you die, what would you like sung at your memorial? She said life is eternal and Dan asked her to sing it. Hear the lyrics. I'll spare you the spare you the song. <laughs> I've been doing a lot of thinking about growing older and moving on. No one wants to be told that they're getting on and maybe going away for a long, long stay. But just how long and who knows and how and where my spirit will go? It soar like jazz on a saxophone or evaporate on a breeze? I don't know. Won't you tell me, please? I will, Carly, I hope I have the chance. Maybe she'll see this on YouTube or somehow somebody will direct it. Maybe you know Carly and you'll send this to her. Carly, I'm telling you, I have an answer and I would love to give it to you. That life is eternal and love is immortal and death is only, a horizon life is eternal. As we move into the light and the horizon is nothing, save the limit of our sight, save the limit of our sight. Here on earth, I'm a lost soul ever trying to find my way back home. Maybe that's why each new star is born. Sounds like that animal thing. Expanding heaven's room, eternity in bloom. I will see you up in that heaven, question mark. In all its light, will I know you there? Question mark, will we say the things that we never dared? If wishing makes it so, won't you let me know? And that's what she wants sung at her memorial. Carly, I'm just telling you, I beg you, there's more to it than wishful thinking. That's just a wish. It's a hope, a prayer. We have the solidity of the very resurrection of Jesus and good reason to believe it. Maybe it's just a decided effort on your part not to think honestly about the future. Maybe just a dreary acceptance of the very futility of life is that you here this morning. Doesn't have to be. Your window will close, but it's not closed yet. So trust in Jesus' clear and unambiguous mission on earth. He came to seek and save the lost, that's what he said, right? John 10, I, I'm the good shepherd he is. I'm telling you, and there are many in this room and listening to the sound of my voice, he is the good shepherd. He doesn't save us from every pain, He doesn't save us from every squabble. but he is the good shepherd. He did not fall down on his promise. Not in my life. Every day it gets sweeter. The closer I get to that window closing, the more exuberant I become, the more emphatic I become about the very reason for which I live, and it's Jesus. And lastly, do you have a fear of death? Hebrews 2, verse 14, listen to, he's conquered it. Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same. In other words, you're a human being, he's going to come to the planet, take on flesh and blood so he can feel what you feel and weep like you weep and suffer pain like you suffer. That through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death. What happened with Jesus at the cross is he rendered Satan powerless. Satan went after the wrong man. And in doing so, he slaughtered an innocent lamb. All that would be covered in that blood, that's why we are church at the red door. All that would cover and go through that door are passed over in judgment. Passover, that's what that means. He rendered him powerless, but you've got to walk through that door. He said, that's the devil and might free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery their entire lives. I don't care what you think. You can be wishful thinking. You can drink yourself your three or four martinis in the evening. You can go on vacation. After vacation, you can pursue all you want. It will not provide you with sustainable joy, my friends. At the end of the day, you'll still think it. And as soon as those thoughts come in, you may try to uh, anesthetize it. You may try to push it down. You may. But I'm telling you, it, deep down in your soul, is this all there is? There is an answer, and his answer is Jesus. I'm telling you these words of eternal truth are our only hope to get off this planet alive. I'm telling you. And it's true. And this knowledge will change you. It will. This foreboding that's in men in your life, your whole life, it can be done today. So let's get clarity on this. Romans 8 verse 11, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the spirit who dwells in you. You want clarity? There it is. Does the spirit of God live in you? How do I get the spirit? It's the very first sermon ever preached. What shall we do, they asked. He said, believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ, repent of your sins, be baptized, be baptized, And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And this says, Paul says in Romans 8, if you have this spirit living in you, guess what? The very same spirit that raised him will raise you. Not to my old body, not to my achy, breaky, heart, body. No way, new body. No more tears forever with him. Too good to be true, I agree, but it's true. And we live for it here at Church at the Red Door. We live for that reality. And then finally, Matthew 28, 6. It could not be more clear. He is not here, for he is risen. Just as he said he would, he pulled it off. He proved he had the authority, and he acted on it. The place where he was lying. It's over, folks. Death has been defeated for all that would believe into him. Is that clear enough? If that's you, if that's you, and I'm going to come back and pray at the end. Today, I don't know when your window will close. I don't know when. I may not make it home today. Jesus knew. He was aware of his 12 hours, and he knew when his hour had come. I'm not so sure my hour has come. Maybe I've got another 10, 20, 30 years. I have no idea. But one day I am aware that my window will close. The question is, if the grave couldn't keep him down, then the grave won't keep you down if his spirit dwells in you. Now, if you can't get up for this next song, <laughs> I, I, I got to be honest with you. When I first came across this song and sung in this way, with this, I was so energized and it was months before Easter each week I said, I'm going to play it this week. No, I'm saving it for Easter. I'm going to play this week. No, I'm going to save it for Easter. No, I'm going to. And I've got to be telling you, my whole thing, as I have looked forward to Easter, it's this song, it's this energy in this song. I'm telling you, there ain't no grave that can hold him down. And then I'll come back and close in prayer.